Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast. This is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of FinTech Nexus. I've been doing this show since 2013, which makes this the longest-running one-on-one interview show in all of FinTech. Thank you for joining me on this journey. If you like this podcast, you should check out our sister shows, The FinTech Blueprint with Lex Sokolin and FinTech Coffee Break with Isabel Castro, or listen to everything we produce by subscribing to the FinTech Nexus podcast channel. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our comprehensive news service. FinTech Nexus News not only covers the biggest FinTech news stories, our daily newsletter delivers the most important FinTech stories into your inbox every morning with special commentary on the top story of the day. Stay on top of FinTech news by subscribing at news.fintechnexus.com slash subscribe. We have a very special guest on today's show. I am delighted to welcome David Marcus. He is the CEO and co-founder of LightSpark. Now, if David Marcus's name rings a bell, it's because you probably know him as either the president of PayPal or more likely as the guy who was in charge of Libra slash Diem that was coming out of Facebook a few years ago. Anyway, he is onto a, his new venture, LightSpark, which I think is just extremely fascinating. What he is building, I didn't really understand it until... We chatted in this interview and I get it now and it is super exciting. Something, basically a a new payments layer for the internet that's global, that's instant, that really doesn't have anything to do with crypto, but it is built on the Bitcoin network and lightning. So we're going to talk all about it. Make sure you listen all the way to the end. It was really a fascinating discussion. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So let's get started by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. You've um, you've been in tech for a long time. You've had some high profile positions. So give us some of the highlights. Uh, Well, let's see. I mean, I I think I first defined myself as an entrepreneur and as a startup founder. Uh, I started a number of companies. Uh, The last company I started, I actually sold to PayPal. I ended up leading PayPal for a number of years uh, and then uh, joined Facebook to lead Messenger uh, and kickstarted the the Libra slash DM project there. Uh, Left in December of 21 and now started uh, LightSpark uh, last year. Right, right. Okay, so we'll we'll get into LightSpark in a little bit. Want to talk about your experience at Libra um, slash DM. What did you learn there? What are, what are some of the takeaways from that? So now you like you've testified in, in front of Congress. I mean, it's, this was, it was a really big deal when this was launched. What did you learn? I'm particularly interested in sort of the, the payments lessons that might have been learned. So first, let's let's maybe uh, elevate. The, the reason I was so passionate about starting something like Libra was really uh, – anchored in my deeply rooted frustration uh, of the state of uh, payment rails uh, in uh, at the time 2018, but still the same in 2023. And and basically uh, around the fact that there's still no real-time interoperable global standard protocol for payments on the internet. Uh, You know, back in 
in the days there there was like an http 402 protocol that was kind of uh envisaged uh, but never implemented uh we've basically uh, successfully managed to build uh rails for everything that can be converted in zeros and ones on the internet except for money and um and in 2018 we still weren't and we still aren't now in a place where you can send and receive money in the same way you would send or receive a text message or an email um and so we wanted to build something that was a global uh, open standard for payments on the internet and uh, we felt at the time that you know facebook's reach of 3.5 billion consumers uh, was a good way to convince a number of other companies to adopt a payment standard uh, on the internet. And that's why we did it from there and why we we tried to build really good technology and capabilities and regulatory frameworks and the likes uh, to make it happen. Uh, unfortunately, uh, politically, it just uh, clearly wasn't uh, palatable to our lawmakers here in the U.S. and even globally, and uh, and for a whole host of reasons that we can get into or not. But basically, that's uh, that's what uh, drove the the project to a halt, and uh, eventually, from that tech to be repurposed by others, uh, but not launched in the form that we had hoped to launch it in with uh, the Libra project. I want to move on to to Lightspark. What was the genesis of the idea here? What what's the opportunity that you see? Well, it's basically the same, uh, <laughs> which is that you know in 2023 we're still in a place where we still don't have an open protocol for payments on the internet. And while we failed at trying to get Libra off the ground, everyone else that tried in the same period of time to do something similar also failed. Right. And um, and it feels like almost something broken with the world and something that I feel deeply passionate about fixing in my lifetime. And so decided to assemble uh, the band again. And, you know, they're all uh, feeling the same thing, which is the same sense of mission to actually bring a, a protocol for payments on the internet that allows anyone to move value around the world uh, on the internet the same way that you move everything else on the internet. And this time around, we have taken all of the learnings that we've had from our past uh, adventure and decided that actually the, the main network or the only network that can actually support something like this uh, would be Bitcoin. And I can I can dive into more details as to why. But basically, Bitcoin as a net neutral uh, form of internet money that is uh, the settlement assets for a real-time cash final payment network was really an attractive technology to build on. And um, and as such, we've decided to build on top of Bitcoin and more specifically on Lightning to enable real-time payments uh, on, on top of the Bitcoin network. Right, right. I think if you asked us 20 years ago whether we would be in a situation today that where payments basically, sure, if there's Fed now and there's RTP and there's a couple other things that uh, are doing moving things around fairly quickly, but still payments basically the same as it was 20 years ago as far as moving money instantly just doesn't happen that much so i i share your frustration and and i feel like it's it's kind of crazy that uh we're in this situation so i want to dive in and talk about the the lightning network maybe you can explain what it is i conceptualize it as like a layer 2 protocol on top of bitcoin like the layer 2 protocols are we know many of them on top of Ethereum. Is that a good way to conceptualize it? 
Yes, it's a little bit nuanced and different, though, because um, Lightning, uh, unlike uh, rollups uh, or other forms of uh, scaling layer two protocols on top of Ethereum, uh, is a channel-based payment system uh, and protocol on top of Bitcoin. So that means that basically, uh, think of it as a maze of a series of abacuses like all over the world where you move beads from one side of the abacus to the other and you know you have to basically open channels payment channels with uh between nodes between uh different types of payment nodes on the network lock up value in bitcoin in those channels and then uh you can move value around so it turns out that it's a really good solution to Bitcoin scaling problems, to finality times, to cost of transactions, uh, because it makes basically Bitcoin transactions near real time, very, very low marginal cost and cash final. Uh, so it settles really in real time. The problem with that is that it it's actually massively complex to operate. And that's where LightSpark comes in, where we've basically automated and simplified how to onboard on the Lightning network and made it behave like a regular payment uh, network, basically, instead of it being this complicated maze of channels uh, that you need to rebalance liquidity for all the time and you need to route payments through. So we've basically abstracted the entire complexity and um, not to get too in the weeds or too technical, but basically... We've basically built the equivalent of an original, you know, Cisco router for the internet, but you know, in this case, for for Lightning, basically, is what we've built. Right. So, was Lightning really the the very best option? I presume that's what it was. Was it the only option? Could you have done this on Ethereum? Well, we could have done this on uh, on other layer ones uh, or other layer two on top of Ethereum or other other networks. The problem is that no other cryptocurrency has the regulatory clarity that Bitcoin has. No other uh, currency has uh, as much liquidity versus fiat and other assets out there. So, you know, if, if you want Bitcoin or a fragment of a Bitcoin to be a settlement currency on top of a very fast network that Lightning is, but basically enabling it to carry any currency you want, uh, then you need a lot of liquidity at the endpoints to be able to FX in and out of Bitcoin really quickly and cheaply. And having a lot of liquidity is actually a real asset. And, you know, by far, by far, Bitcoin has a ton more liquidity on exchanges, wallets, liquidity providers, market makers, institutional players uh, compared to any other digital asset out there. And so the the combination of the regulatory clarity, the massive amounts of liquidity and the fact that basically Bitcoin is the most decentralized network out there by far has a lot of advantages that can't be replicated by other layer ones or other technologies. Okay, understood. So then should we think about LightSpark as sort of the uh, like a payments infrastructure layer for Bitcoin? And maybe you could explain if that's how you describe it to sort of lay people and, and what, what products are you developing? Yes. So basically think of LightSpark um, as an entry point to the Lightning Network that enables uh, all kinds of different companies to build real-time global payments experiences on top of the internet. So we're trying to advance the Lightning Network to become the winning standard protocol for payments on the internet 
And we're basically providing software tools and services to companies so they can actually take full advantage of that. Right. So is there anything out in the wild right now? Or are you still sort of in the development phase? Yeah. So we've basically onboarded a number of exchanges and wallets on the platform and we're continuing to do that. Um, and basically, when you think about the existing state of the world of Lightning, is basically every exchange or wallet wants Lightning, but then when they start working on it, they find that it's actually so complicated to not only uh, enable as a feature, but also maintain because of the liquidity channel, rebalancing, routing, and all of these complexities. Um, and as such, a lot of them have uh, basically uh, held off on integrating because the value effort to effort ratio just wasn't computing for them until now. Um, and so we're basically onboarding a lot of them and we're also building a roadmap that will enable more mainstream payments use cases to happen. But the first step is really enable all of the players out there that are currently moving Bitcoin on layer one to move Bitcoin in real time at a low cost, so faster or cheaper on top of Lightning on behalf of their customers, bring that liquidity to the network, and then we can build all kinds of more mainstream consumer payments, consumer facing payments experiences through our customers, because we're not a consumer facing company right. to enable all kinds of payments use cases that can't happen. So a good example is something that we have on our website right now, which is a demo of streaming money. So we know of streaming all kinds of different things, streaming audio, streaming video, streaming all kinds of zeros and ones. Uh, but certainly not of money. And we believe that actually money should move on the internet the same way as everything else. So streaming money should be a concept that companies uh, should enable for their uh, stakeholders. And that would enable to unlock a tremendous amount of GDP that's actually stuck by the limitations of our current rails. And we're very excited about that. Like this idea that if money moves in real time globally, and if you can move very small small amounts of money, globally in real time at a marginal cost, then you can unlock a lot of value for consumers, for companies, for all kinds of players globally. Right. So then I don't know if there's, are there any consumer applications right now that are using your technology like live right now? Yeah. So if you're um, in Europe or if you're in the Middle East or if, if you're in the US, there are a number of exchanges and wallets that are actually on our stack and that will enable you to send and receive Bitcoin on Lightning in real time in a very reliable way, irrespective of the transaction amounts that you want to send or receive. And so that's kind of the very, very basic version of how you can experience our product. The next stages of it are going to be basically, you know, if you're sending money cross-border, can you send money cross-border in whatever currency you want, uh, at whatever increment you want, and uh, do that very reliably? When you think about it, the, the cross-border and global money flows are really not optimized. You know, there, there's lots of real-time real-time payment systems on the edges of those networks domestically. So you think of it, you know, in Brazil, you have PIX, in India, you have UPI, in Europe, you have SEPA, and so on and so forth. Uh, but the global transaction networks such as SWIFT uh, and others are really not real-time systems. This, this is a correspondent banking system. It works on top of 
basically a series of mazes of accounts that are held and and across banks around the world. And then you have this messaging platform that passes messages across all of these financial institutions for that money to eventually be settled in batch processes at the end of a working day uh, that stops on Friday at 5 p.m. And so, you know, that's very ineffective. And basically all the downstream network effects of all of that money being kind of stuck in our on archaic rails like this is um is something that we hope we can help resolve right and so i'm sure you've thought about the scale and you did mention scale uh, already but i presume you have the capacity to run transactions at like visa and mastercard type scale is that is that fair to say yeah the throughput of lightning is actually really high and as such you can assume that you can run many thousands of transactions per second you know over uh, over a long sustained period of time I'm not saying that it'll take a long sustained period of time to get there i'm saying like you can sustain that kind of throughput right. for 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 a very long time there's a lot of orchestration and com- complexity involved with that including rebalancing liquidity and moving it around the network and that's basically a, a lot of the value that we bring to our clients is doing that dynamically on the fly uh, we have a product that's called LightSpark Predict that actually will predict the, the successful route for a specific transaction of a specific size and deploy liquidity on demand in real time across the entire network to ensure that those transactions are successful. These things are actually really, really complex, but no one cares, right? It's like what they care is that they can plug into a simple interface and send money reliably and then we'll take care of that, you know, crazy complexity on our side. Right. Are you also thinking micropayments as a use case here? Because it's still crazy to me. We haven't solved that problem either. Yes. And the reason we haven't solved that problem is basically because the cost of the transaction for a single micropayment is often higher than the amount you're trying to transact in the first place. And as such, if you want micropayments to work in our current environment, then you need to preload a wallet. Uh, with a set defined balance that you can then spend incrementally over time. And there are two problems with that. One, as a consumer, you need to commit to load up a wallet with $10 or $20. Two is that wallet is actually going to be proprietary to one publication or to one uh, domain because there's no interoperability. That's the other part we're solving is interoperability between wallets, between banks, between platforms uh, will enable that global interoperability to happen in the same way that there's interoperability between email providers on the internet with SMTP. So think of Lightning as a more complex version of SMTP, but for money. So, I mean, you've got to be acutely aware, given your history at Libra, of the the political regulatory challenges that lay ahead if something like this was to start to get scale. One of the things that um, you know, the current environment that we're living in with all, there's a lot of negativity with the crypto in Washington, although we are recording this today on the day where the SEC was defeated, a federal judge said that the Bitcoin ETF can go ahead. So that's good news. But still, it seems like with all of the, the negativity around crypto, and the fact that if you if this gets scale, do you think the Federal Reserve is going to be okay if there's, you know, half the amount of volume flowing through your network as there is, or through the Lightning Network as there is through the federal payment system? I mean, how do you how do you grapple with that? Yeah, I think 
This is very different in nature for many reasons. Uh, first of all, the vision is actually that people will transact in their home currency, like, you know, dollars, euros, yen, etc., and not, you know, with a stable coin that is, you know, controlled by an entity um, that is, you know, not the government, which was like a problem in the Libra construct, despite the fact that we tried to devolve power into uh, an association with 28 other members and all of these things, like it wasn't good enough. And so in this case, you can think of a fragment of Bitcoin traveling on Lightning, like a TCPIP packet for money. So we're really focused on the infrastructure piece and not so much on the asset that actually transits on top of the network. So I think that's a key distinction. The other distinction is actually that, you know, when you think about payment systems out there, that there's a payment system that is controlled by the federal government in the US, which, you know, is basically the window at the Fed or now FedNow. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing. But I think what when you look at all of the retail payment systems, they're all in the hands of, you know, private companies today, whether it be banks or the PayPal's of this world or the cash apps of this world or others. Those are all uh, private company operated payment systems. They just so happen not to be open uh, and not to be interoperable just because of the nature of the lack of actually an interoperability protocol for money on the internet, which is what we're hoping to bring with, with Lightning and LightSpark. So I think it's a little different here. It's basically making transactions uh, cheaper, more efficient, bringing more competition to the payment landscape in general, and trying to enable also use cases that are currently impossible because of the limitations of current rails. You talked about micropayments. That's definitely one of them. When you think about streaming of micropayments, that's definitely a big use case for people who need to get paid. And, you know, when you think about it right now, payroll uh, or whether it's like a gig worker getting paid is artificially held up by the capabilities of our current payment systems. And so people are not basically getting paid as they perform a duty or a job. Uh, I think that could change. Uh, global payouts and global payments, cross-border payments, has always been problematic uh, and very costly for populations that are typically more vulnerable and can't afford to pay high fees. They end up paying the highest fees. Um, all of these problems that are very, very big problems that are experienced by billions of people around the world can actually be solved by a real-time, open, interoperable, dirt-cheap um, payment system or payment network on the internet. So then maybe we should think about this as just an alternative payment rail where it sounds like what you're saying is people are still going to transact in their local currency. And so this is just going to be the way that your money can flow, whether it's domestically or internationally, that you're, you're developing just an alternative rails. Is that is that how I should think about it? Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, when you think about the world today, you basically have a bunch of islands that are payment islands. They're not connected by a hyperloop of payments that makes it, you know, interoperable in real time and cash final and all of that, right? So in some cases, they're you know, rope bridges between some of these things that are, you know, really fragile and slow to travel on. But there's no such thing as a, a global hyperloop of money on the internet that enables those islands to actually send value in real time 24-7 in whatever currency they want. And so I think that, you know, if you enable that, if you unlock that, 
then you can unlock uh, a lot of uh, a lot of GDP, for the lack of a better term, that's actually you know locked up uh, by the limitations of the current payment systems. Right, right. Because I'm noticing, I'm on your website right now, and you don't really mention crypto. You don't really even even mention Bitcoin. You just talk about you know open payments at the speed of light, and and so is that is that deliberate? I imagine it is. That this is sort of. You're trying to put this as a really it's not a crypto play, it's a technology play. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, when's the last time that you thought of SMTP and TCPIP when you <laughs> sent an email, right? right? It's like you send an email, you have an interface, it's nice, it's easy to use, it works, right? And so that's what we want payments to be on top of Lightning. And we don't want uh you to have to basically do a special dance in the fire to be able to actually use uh, uh, use a, a product because now you belong to a, a certain group of people who can figure out how to use a product. That's definitely not, you know, not our approach to, to product. Right. So then I'd love to kind of get your sense of how this is going to evolve. Are we going to have an app on our phone or is this going to be a, like a Chrome plugin that we'll have once you start to get a lot of adoption here. What's sort of going to be the? Is I imagine there's going to be lots of different use cases, right? Yeah, that that will really depend on our clients and the way that they bring the products to market. Right now, it's in wallets that support Bitcoin because we move Bitcoin. Over time, you can basically expect this to be in apps, so wallets, and you know, eventually bank apps themselves or Chrome extensions for streaming of money, whether it's receiving or sending, by the way. So you can you can imagine having all kinds of different endpoints that are basically on the internet that will enable you to send or receive any finite amount of money uh, on the internet in real time. The, I mean, basically, it'll work the way that it should be working today already. Right. And it'll enable all kinds of value to travel on the internet, uh, encumbered only by regulatory obligations that um, we're working hard to uh, enable our clients to, of course, meet on on top of a, a, a new-ish network. So then what do you think about the, there's a lot of people talk about the programmability of money with a lot of the work being done on Ethereum, but is that part of what you're developing or is this an abstracted away from that? I mean, I, I'm curious about it. Yeah, it's really abstracted away from it. Um, I, I, I do think that there are interesting use cases for programmable money on top of what we're doing, notably on collateralization of assets uh, for access, broader access to capital. We think that that might be something that will be actually super relevant to a network that enables capital to travel globally in real time in a really cheap way. But really our focus right now is how can we build an open, interoperable, cheap protocol for payments on the internet? that enables anyone to move money 24-7 at a very small subatomic unit of whatever currency they want. And uh, I think that if we can achieve that, then we can build all kinds of other things. But, you know, that's our our laser focus is on, on that right now. Right. I remember um, Chris Larson, the founder of Ripple, talking at one of our events many, many years ago now. I think it was like 2016 or 17. Basically said the same thing, like the internet of money, Ripple was the internet of money. And and clearly, it hasn't evolved quite like the way that they expected. So others have tried to do what what you're trying to do now. What have you learned from those, I guess, the the failures, not the ripples, ripples still going, of course, but what are you learning from the others that have attempted to do this? Well, so the first thing is I think you can't build such a thing on a proprietary 
protocol that is controlled by a company. I think that's the key learning. It has to behave like the internet. It has to be like the internet. And Lightning and Bitcoin, respectively, and together, behave like the internet. And so it's an open protocol. We're not going to be basically a monopoly uh, enabling companies to use this network. We're going to have a ton of competition, and we already have a ton of competition, building different aspects and parts of, uh, of the value chain on the network. And we're also working with a bunch of other companies uh, and parties uh, on the same goal together and in different ways. So it's an open protocol. And as such, it's not controlled by any one corporation or has outsized influence of a, a single person or a group of people that are identifiable, which is another virtue of Bitcoin. And so I think that's kind of a key prerequisite. And that's also uh, one of the big reasons uh, why we built on top of Bitcoin instead of anything else, frankly. And you're obviously focused globally, I imagine. What companies are you working with? Is it primarily US? Is it, is it all around the world, the companies you're working with right now? Yeah, it's very global. Uh, so, you know, we have clients in Latin America, we have clients in the Middle East, we have uh, clients in Europe, uh, here in the US. So we have clients all over the place. Uh, Africa, actually, uh, ongoing right now. So we really, uh, because our approach is actually an approach of building software services and capabilities on top of an open network that is global by nature, we don't really have uh, an area of focus the, the, in terms of a geographical area where we have concentration of clients. Uh, we have clients all over the place. And one of the interesting use cases um, in the early days of our platform has been that actually if you're buying a small amount of Bitcoin on an exchange, to move that small amount of Bitcoin on layer one is actually very costly versus larger transactions in the US. So we've had um, we've had a lot more traction in the early days with the basic version of our product, the very first version of our product in places where actually moving small amounts of Bitcoin were really on the critical path for a lot of these exchanges and wallets. And as such, we brought a solution that you know really met a, a big problem at the time they needed one. Right, right. So, so what's your business model then? Are you are you a SaaS company? Are people paying a subscription here? Uh, so we are a SaaS company. Uh, it's not really a subscription. It's kind of you know we charge per API calls, or you know you can bring it down to a transaction level. But basically, we provide the whole suite of services. So LightSpark Connect, which is our enterprise grade uh, node management system for Lightning nodes, Predict, which enables the routing and on-demand liquidity um, to uh, facilitate you know high uh, high availability and 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 high success rate of transactions uh, our SDKs and APIs and a, a suite of incoming services as well so we package all of that and then you know we charge uh, a small fee that is you know honestly very marginal compared to the cost of traditional uh, payment networks um, all in and uh, and that's how we monetize right right okay so I'm curious whether the the instant payments you talked about, you mentioned PIX, you mentioned UPI. Does this all help you to have all of these faster payment networks? Because obviously people were moving domestically inside Brazil. PIX is now the number one payment method. But how does that help? So it helps because the problem we're trying to solve is actually global interoperability of uh, those islands of money that we talked about. 
And if you can push money globally between these islands, but the last mile that enables you to actually use that balance is real time and low cost, then it makes the whole system work. If you were to push money to an endpoint and then you have a balance, but you can only move that balance, you know, from Monday to Friday, eight to five, then, you know, it's not really a global internet of money that you can actually build on top of this combined infrastructure that combines basically the last mile real-time payment systems and lightning in the middle as an interoperability layer between all of these endpoints and, and accounts. And I think, you know, the combination of real-time payment systems and something like Lightning that works at scale with any currency uh, is actually the, the the powerful combination here. Right. Okay. So I want to close with a future-looking question. Let's just assume you're wildly successful and that everyone is using Lightning around the world. What's in ten years' time? What's that going to actually look like for the average consumer day to day? Well, I think that's a really good question because. When you think to con- you, you talk to a lot of consumers, they can't think of you know other ways to pay or get paid or the value that uh, can be unlocked uh, instinctively. And especially if you're in the U.S., you know you have Venmo, you have PayPal, you have Cash App, you have all kinds of different ways to pay one another. You don't feel like payments are a problem. The reality is that the way I think about this is you know back in the day when people were sending faxes. And, you know, word got out that there was a thing called the Internet that was going to happen and that was going to enable people to communicate in a in a more seamless way. People were also equally puzzled as to why is there a problem in communicating today? I can make a phone call. I can send a fax. It's fine. <laughs> uh, and And I think that, you know, people you know, really can't wrap their heads around like what happens the minute you can actually move money digitally on the internet in uh, a, a real-time global way and how much value can be unlocked. Another analogy is texting. Texting peaked across all of the mobile operators in the world at 20, 25 billion messages a day. And now um, any day uh, between, you know, WhatsApp and other messaging platforms out there, there's hundreds of billions of messages that are sent and received because you know now you have you know an ability to send unlimited messages on top of the internet and so the way i think about things is basically that it's going to unlock a ton of trapped gdp uh, for people so you're going to be able to get paid much faster uh, cost of capital is going to go down because capital is going to be more efficiently moving around the world. Like you're going to be able to buy things and exchange value with people and entities that you can't actually do that with today. So you're going to be able to buy a, a series of services and goods that are out of reach today. And conversely, if you're a company or an individual selling uh, whatever it is that you're selling, it's art, it's services, it's capabilities, you're going to be able to do it globally seamlessly without uh, without any afterthought of you know where you can actually receive payments from. So I think you know when you think about all of that, that's 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 a big difference in the world. And you know, of course, you know, easier for us to wrap our heads around it. Like people who need to send money cross border today still have trouble doing that. It's very expensive. It's very frictionful. In some cases, people have to walk to places that are very unsafe and wait for hours to get cash out. 
all of these things don't need to exist. And, you know, we believe that if you enable the network that can settle all of these transactions in real time at a fraction of the cost uh, of the current system, you both bring new capabilities and reduce cost, then uh, we can unleash a lot of value for billions of people. Okay. Well, Dave, we'll have to leave it there. I I hope you're successful. I, we, I want to solve this problem. <laughs> and so I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I, I learned a lot today. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for listening. Please go ahead and give the show a review on the podcast platform of your choice and go tell your friends and colleagues about it. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.